0: I hate it when the sermon bumper is better than the sermon. It just makes everything anticlimactic. But uh, fugu, I don't know if you ever heard of fugu before. F-U-G-U is a Japanese dish, and it's, it's made from a certain kind of fish. What fish would that be? The blowfish. Now, the, the problem is it's extremely toxic. A blowfish is toxic, and so it has to be prepared in a certain way. Anybody here ever had fugu before? No, you can't just make it by watching a YouTube video, Bill. You have to be trained, and in Japan, you have to be a chef who's licensed from the government to prepare this fish, because it is potentially that bad. But supposedly, it's a great delicacy. Well, today, we're not going to be talking about a man who prepares a fish. We're going to talk about a fish that prepares a man. And we're in the sermon series on Jonah. Last week, we're in Jonah chapter 1. The overarching theme of the book is missions. And so last week in chapter one, we talked about Jonah's call to mission and our call to mission as well. He heard that call from the word of God, from concerned people, and from his circumstances. But even though Jonah was called to missions, he resisted that call. He was was called to go east overland to Nineveh, and instead he went west overseas over the Mediterranean Sea toward Tarshish, the exact opposite direction. Uh, God didn't care for that so he brought a storm and to settle the storm Jonah was thrown overboard by the sailors and as he was sinking he was swallowed up by the great fish. So that brings us to where we are today. Jonah's heart needed a little more preparation in order to complete his mission. So today we're talking about the preparation for mission in Jonah chapter 2 and we want to see this in three ways this morning. First of all God prepared Jonah for mission through prayer. Through prayer. Now, the last verse of chapter 1, Jonah 1.17, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then the first verse of chapter 2 to 1, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. All of chapter 2 is the prayer of Jonah. And so I don't want us to miss... The obvious point here, God is using prayer to prepare Jonah's heart. Inside the fish he prayed, of course he did. If that was you, if that was me, and we're inside the fish, what else is there to do? Maybe tickle the epiglottis, but other than that, we are going to pray. Now, up until this point, there had been prayer going on. In chapter 1, there was a lot of praying going on. That's the good news. The bad news was, none of it was coming from Jonah. Let me give you a sampling. Jonah 1.5, fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help. So the, the sailors are praying. And verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. So the sailors are now praying to Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon us from your own good reasons. Again, it's the sailors who are praying. Chapter 1, verse 6. The captain goes to Jonah and he says, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. So the captain, this pagan captain, is pleading with Jonah to pray to his God. You know, that verse in particular to me is reminiscent. Anybody thinking of an associated scripture with this one? Reminiscent of Jesus coming to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. How can you sleep at a time like this? Can't you wait with me one hour? Can't you stay up and pray with me? So trying to get Jonah to pray. So in all of chapter 1, Jonah is a prayerless prophet. And that may go some distance to helping us understand why he was resistant to his mission. Why his heart was so hard there were other reasons we'll get into those but prayerlessness could be a part of his problem there is a definite connection between the quality of compassion caring about others suffering with others empathy with others sympathy for others especially those who need the good news there's a connection between compassion and prayer remember this from mark or matthew rather chapter 9 verse 36 and verse 38 When Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And He said to His disciples, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Now, do you see the connection there between compassion and prayer? It's Really, it's an unusual thing for Jesus to tell His disciples because they're they're the farmhands and Jesus or God, rather, is the owner of the farm. And He's saying to the farmhands to ask the owner of the farm to send out more workers. I mean, doesn't God know that the harvest is ready? Doesn't God care about the harvest? So why should the farmhands be asking God to do this? Well, perhaps it's because part of the reason Jesus told them to pray was because they needed to care more. They needed to care more About the harvest. Have you ever. Wondered. Why some Christians. Seem to care more. Than you do. About the mission. I've wondered that. I've definitely encountered Christians. That I perceived right away. They just care more. Than I do. Why do they care more than me? And there may be more than one answer to that. But part of the answer. May have to do with prayer. Maybe they are. Praying in a way that I'm not praying. Maybe they are praying more than I am praying. Remember when Jesus encountered the woman at the well in John chapter 4 in Samaria, outside the city of Sychar, and the disciples had gone into town to buy groceries, so it's just Jesus and the woman. When the disciples came back, how many people did they bring with them from Sychar? How many people did they say, hey, we've got the Messiah out here at Jacob's well. You may want to come meet him. Zero. Later on, the woman that Jesus had encountered at the well, how many people did she bring out from Sychar to to meet Jesus? Lots. Almost the whole town. What was the difference? This woman cared more. And Jesus said to his disciples, you know, I know you brought some food, but I have food to eat that you apparently know nothing about. My food is to do the will of God my Father. We're talking about preparing our hearts for mission. And God used... Prayer to help prepare Jonah's heart. Dr. E. Stanley Jones writes, in prayer we align ourselves to the purpose and the power of God. Let me show you a slide of Spock. Now, in this picture of Spock, what is he doing to Captain Kirk? Do we have any Trekkies here who might know? What is Spock doing? It's not a wrestling death claw. What is he doing to Captain Kirk? The mind meld, yes. He's doing the Vulcan mind meld. Because being a Vulcan, Spock was able to put his hand on somebody's face and meld his mind to there and know what their thoughts were. Now, I kind of feel like we do that when we read Scripture, when we read it seriously. We're thinking the thoughts of God. We're aligning our minds with God. But in prayer, I might call that a heart meld. When we pray... We're praying about the things that God cares about, and we're molding our hearts and our passions to His heart. We've got to admit, we've got to be honest, that this compassion thing doesn't come easily to us. It doesn't come naturally to us. It's part of the grace of God to soften our hearts, cause us to love the things that He loves, hate the things that He hates, That's a function of prayer. J.C. Ryle, let me read you two or three quotes here about prayer. J.C. Ryle, we're all selfish by nature, and our selfishness is apt to stick to us even after conversion. There's a tendency in us to think only of our own needs, conflicts, and progress while forgetting others. When we intercede, we forget our personal needs and focus all of our faith and prayer attention on others. Edward Bauman writes, when we pray for others, we do not stand with outstretched hands hoping to receive something for ourselves. We stand at God's side working together with Him in the task of redeeming others. Finally, Paul Bilheimer writes, spiritually speaking, prayer is the divine equalizer. Some preach, others teach, a few sing in public, but all can pray. And through faithful intercession, we may accomplish as much and reap as full a reward as though we had been on the mission field in person. I pray every day I assume most of you pray every day as well but I don't always remember our missions and our missionaries in prayer we have missionary brochures scattered everywhere now they list the 14 missions that we support here financially in the church grab one of those brochures that's what I'm going to do take it let's take it into our prayer closets with us and make sure we're remembering our missionaries in our prayer time. By the way, we're starting something this week. On Tuesday, we're going to open up this building, the worship center here to prayer from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. May not fit everyone's schedule, but if you're able, come on in and pray. We're going to have 12 prayer stations set up around the worship center. So it'll be a self-guided sort of prayer walk. And in each station, something different will be focused upon. Like we'll have a A station for praise and a station for scripture praying and one for meditation and one for listening and one for intercession. And one of those stations will be just for our missions and our missionaries. So if you spend one minute at each station, you'll pray for 12 minutes. Spend five minutes at each station, you'll pray for an hour. But the building will be open, security in place. And I'll be here at 9 a.m. to pray with anyone who wants to come in and pray. All right. So, But what we're saying here, we're just looking at the ways that God had to kind of soften up Jonah, prepare his heart for mission. First way is through prayer. A second way, God prepared him through preservation, through preservation. Verses 5 and 6, this is part of Jonah's prayer. I sank beneath the waves, the waters closed over me, seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains, I was imprisoned in the earth. Whose Gates lock shut forever, but you, O oh Lord, my God snatched me from the jaws of death. So a lot of people want to save the whales. This is a whale that wanted to save the human. And he did. God preserved Jonah's life through the whale, I think. I think. The, I'm going to call it a whale, great fish, just some sea creature of some kind. But it was the storm that was the judgment of God. Jonah is drowning in the water and this whale becomes the vehicle of his salvation, his rescue, his preservation. This made a change in Jonah's heart. A few years ago, Harrison Okine. He was a sailor on a tugboat off the Nigerian coast in the Atlantic Ocean. A storm comes up, flips that tugboat. It sinks to the bottom of the Atlantic. Twelve crew members, eleven drowned. Harrison had found an air pocket in the belly of that boat in which he survived for three days. After three days, he's breathing that air. There's not much left. The rescue crew comes. Goes down to the bottom of the ocean, is searching for survivors, finds one corpse after another. Now, this is a little diagram of the boat on the ocean floor, and you just, I don't know if you can see that from where you're sitting, but there's an air pocket, and you can kind of see where Harrison was. And they're filming it, they're filming the rescue when they come upon one hand that's sticking out from underneath the boat, and it's attached. To a living survivor. Now I want to show you about 30 seconds. A 30-second clip here of this rescue. All right, you found one, yeah? He's alive. He's alive. Okay, keep him there. Keep him there. All right. Just, just. All right. All right. Hold him there. Okay. Just keep him there. All right. Just keep him there and keep him calm. Okay. All right, just, um, just reassure him, pat him on the shoulder. Okay. Oh, right, there's a lot more to it than that, but I just wanted to show you that much. I just felt like that was so dramatic that they found that hand, and the crew, the, the rescuers were overjoyed to find Harrison. Of course, he was pretty overjoyed to see them as well. He says it's changed his whole life. He attributes it to God. He'd been praying the whole time. His wife had been praying, praying Scripture, and they rescued him, changed his life. Of course it changed his life. Now, how could it not? I use the one your Bible for my daily devotions. Many of you do as well. And if you do, you read Psalm 107 this past week, an interesting psalm. The psalmist writes about and describes various people who are in dire straits, and God comes to their rescue and saves them, rescues them, preserves their life. Uh, he, he describes for instance someone who's out in the wilderness and they don't have food and they don't have water and they're, they're starving and dying and and God rescues them provides food and water uh, he describes someone a sailor sailing on the ocean like in Jonah when a great storm comes up and they know they're going to sink and they cry out lord save us and and God intervenes and Helps them through the storm and, and they are preserved and saved. He, he describes those who get sick so food has no more appeal to them and they're dying, especially without nourishment. And they cry, oh, God, save us. And, and God restores them to health and restores their appetite and they're saved. He talks about those who find themselves in prison behind iron bars, maybe as the consequence of their own sinful or foolish decisions. They cry, Lord, help us. And they're delivered from the, from the prison and after this description after description. And then you have this concluding verse. Those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history, our history, the faithful love of the Lord. So sometimes we're praying about a situation or a person and maybe we don't get the answer that we'd hoped for in the way that we wanted. Maybe instead of recovering, the person sickens and even dies. And we we wonder, where was God? Why didn't... Why didn't God intervene, rescue, save, and preserve? And it's it's natural to wonder that. But here's another thing to meditate on and to think about. And that is all the times when God has in the past, maybe for that very person, intervened, preserved, rescued, mitigated the consequences. We know that the Bible teaches even when we do suffer, God is mitigating our suffering, so it's not as bad as it would have been if not for God. We all want to look at our own personal history and see the faithful love of the Lord. Jonah, eventually, he was rescued here. Eventually, he died again. Harrison Okine he was rescued. I would say God used those people to rescue him, but eventually, he's going to die someday. We all have to die, but that does not negate the fact that God's been involved interceding and rescuing us and preserving our lives year after year after year. I look around here, I see most of us, we've been around a while. And that is only possible for us to be here today because God has been preserving our lives. We just sang a song, didn't we? That had these lyrics, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. In a dark time, we can't forget that. Scott Peck writes in his book, The Road Less Traveled, in the ordinary course of things, we should be eaten alive by bacteria, consumed by cancer, clogged up by fats, and eroded by acids. It's hardly remarkable that we sicken and die. What's truly remarkable is that we don't usually sicken very often, and we don't die very quickly. There's a force the mechanism of which we don't fully understand that seems to operate routinely in most people to protect and encourage our physical health even under the most adverse conditions. And this verse, or this force, rather, he calls grace. God's goodness to Jonah in preserving him called him back to his mission. It helped to prepare his heart. In verse 9 of chapter 2, Jonah prays, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. So God's preparing us through his preservation. And then the third way that God prepared Jonah was through expectoration. Expectoration. Verse 10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah onto the beach. Now, you know what I'm talking about when I say expectoration? What is that? It spit. It spit. I'm especially good at expectorating. That's from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Gaston. So there you go. So God told the fish, he ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. It must have sounded like something like this. Fish, I command you to spit Jonah out. Now, that's a little Finding Nemo. I'm a papa. All I know are these Disney movies. It's all I can reference. It's whale talk. Uh, So all I'm going to say right here is that it's interesting how God used this whale. You talk about creativity. You can't make this stuff up. God used a whale, a fish, to facilitate Jonah's mission. It got him where he needed to be physically, right? He was drowning in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. If the fish had spit him out in the Mediterranean Sea, Jonah's in trouble. That's not going to work. The fish transports him back to dry land, presumably... Joppa, the port from which he started out and spits him onto dry land, gets him where he needs to be physically, also gets him where he needs to be mentally, psychologically and spiritually. It's inside the belly of the beast, the belly of the whale, where Jonah's arrogance and pride are stripped away, where his independence is stripped away, his rebellion against God. It's there where he is humbled by God, sticks his hand outside like Harrison, so to speak, and reaches up to God and God reaches down and grasps. That hand, God used that fish to facilitate Jonah's mission. Ben Franklin says, these things that hurt instruct. Sometimes we find ourselves in the belly of the beast. Some of you here this morning, that's where you are. In a place of discomfort, of pain, a place of confusion. It hurts. I know that about some of you because I know some of your stories. And I know that about most of you and most of us, because I know the human condition. There's a lot of folks who are hurting and suffering and carrying a burden. We have six uh, missionary representatives here with us today, or at least representing six of our missions. And last Sunday, we had eight. From last Sunday, among those eight was the representative from Johnson University, Florida, over in Kissimmee, Alan Tyson was here. A lot of you know Alan. I know Alan Tyson. Alan Tyson is a lifelong friend of mine. We grew up together in Jacksonville. We attended Englewood Christian Church together. We went to church camp together. We were roommates in Bible college. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. Just a few years ago, Alan's wife of 30-something years passed away from cancer. and, And relatively young. Not even 60 years old. And Alan posted this after that happened on his Facebook page. It's a quote from Anne Lamott. It reads, You will lose someone you can't live without, and your heart will be badly broken. And the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But there's also good news. They live forever in your broken heart, that doesn't seal back up, and you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly, that still hurts when the weather gets cold, but you learn to dance with the limp. Remember Jacob in the Old Testament who wrestled with God? In that process, his hip was dislocated. He walked away with God's blessing, but he walked away with the limp. The limp simply evidenced of his time with God. The Apostle Paul traveling over the known world preaching the gospel for God but in the process beaten, scourged, whipped, imprisoned, shipwrecked. Paul says this in Galatians 6.17 From now on let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. What were those marks? Scars. The Apostle Paul walked with a limp. Some of us this morning walk with a limp. We have felt that pain and we have wrestled with God. And yet there's something about that very process that tenderizes our hearts, that God uses to prepare us, to communicate to us. He's not done with us yet. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And that light is the mouth of the great opening up and God's going to send us forth to greater work in Mark chapter 8 a blind man comes to Jesus for healing Jesus spits on the blind man's eyes and then heals him and he regains his sight here's the thing about the spit of God It may hurt, but at the same time, it heals. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I know, I know, so many of us this morning are hurting, we're in a difficult place, challenging place. And here we come, and and the sermon is all about the mission and taking the good news and the gospel to others. But, But we realize we can't get distracted from our mission by whatever problems we have in our own life. In fact, you can use those very problems and those very challenges, as painful as they may be while we're in the belly of the beast. You can use those very things to equip us and to facilitate our mission, our work and your kingdom, our little part that we contribute. We pray that we do. Use us, Lord. Even though we are wounded and limping, in your service only the wounded soldiers can serve.